Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. This is episode 108, and I'm your lovely host, Known Wells. Thanks for being here. Today's guest is Kev Moore, who's an artist and musician, a very talented one. There is a trigger warning for this episode. Kev and I talk about sexual abuse, childhood abuse, self-harm, suicide. So, fair warning. Um, the episode In the episode, uh, Kev and I talk about how we can take the things we've been through and help others, which is truly what empathy is all about. We also talk about his art and music and finding inspiration through uh, his mental health struggles. Um, which is something maybe all of us can relate to. Uh, Kev is very inspiring, and I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Before we get to it, though, I wanted to remind you that the launch team signups for the Feely Human Collective, which is my new mental health collaborative platform coming soon. Launch team, you can sign up right now. If you go to feelyhuman.co, that's feelyhuman.co, learn more about it, sign up, share, and for those already part of the launch team. Thank you. You're the best. You warm my heart. Thank you. Keep sharing. Make sure to follow the Feely Human Collective on Instagram and Twitter at Feely Human, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash Feely Human. And while you're following, make sure to follow Yumi Empathy at Yumi Empathy on all the places and facebook.com slash Yumi Empathy on Facebook. Okay. Uh, what else? Um, I wanted to say that, um, oh, about the Feel the Human Collective. Again, it's a mental health collaborative platform coming soon. The full launch will be in February, but in January, there will be a crowdfunding campaign, which I'm very excited. I don't have a specific date yet, but keep your eyes peeled at Feel the Human, and I'll, I'll be announcing it very soon. And if you join the launch team, I'll, I'll send you an email and make sure you know about it. Uh, there'll be a lot of amazing reward tiers with with shirts and pins and stickers, as well as uh, guest spots on Yumi Empathy, and even spending the day with yours truly. Wouldn't that be fun? You can spend the day snuggling with Scooby and our new dog, Humphrey, uh, as well as recording the podcast and maybe going for a hike, doing whatever you want to do. Um, so look out for that crowdfunding campaign very soon in January. Um, I also wanted to say happy holidays. If you celebrate Christmas or if you don't, just happy holidays. Very proud of you for getting through this year. Um, you know, it's not always easy to get through a year. And we did it. We did it together, hopefully. Hopefully you found some inspiration and uh, empathy and you related and it's, it's helped along the way, this podcast. So thank you for being here. Very proud of you, and I love you. And uh, I think that's it. Let's let's get to it. Make sure to go to feelyhuman.co and uh, subscribe to Yumi Empathy if you haven't. And uh, I guess that's it. All right? Let's get to 
episode 108 with my guest, Kev Moore. Oh, and P.S. Sorry. Uh, the the intro music this week actually is Kev's music. So instead of the normal intro music you hear on Umiapathy, I uh, dropped in uh, one of Kev's tracks. And so make sure to listen to it because he's very talented and it's very good. So uh, enjoy that. All right. Bye. Child, I was free I could do anything But since I've been weighed down By life, loss and sin I don't know what I'm doing here But at least I'm somewhere So I guess I I guess I've already won Yeah I thank God to be living While I'm praying to die And I will go where he wants me Without a reason of why I don't know what I'm doing here But at least I'm somewhere So I guess I I guess I've already won Someone Singing my sad, sad songs And I write to find comfort And I sing to bring you some And I don't know why It's about what you see Done. I don't know what I'm doing here, but at least I'm somewhere, and I, I guess I, I guess I've already won.
Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand-in-hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm jazzed to be conversing with artist, folk, and blues musician and mental health advocate, Kev Moore. Hello, Kev. Hi, Nan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, uh, listeners, Kev is doing really awesome work in the world of making music that um, has kind of a message around mental health and kind of doing the work of mental health advocacy through his music and kind of healing and the healing and sort of therapeutic properties of music, which is just so fascinating and cool to me. So I'm excited to to get to know him and, and share his story with you listeners today. Uh, but before we do that, we always start the show with a little emotional check-in. So Kev, to you, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good today. I had a, it's um, 3 p.m. So it's my day's nearing an end, and it's been nice and relaxing, beautiful weather. Went on a nice adventure with my dog. So nice. I'm feeling pretty nice. How about you? Good. Um, I'm doing all right. Yeah. So do you, like, maybe you're like me in this way, um, but I get so much from my dog. Like, my mental health is very much connected to my dog. Me too, very much so. We are inseparable, and she does. I've only had a, a dog for the last four years, and it's just made a huge difference in my recovery, um, in my day to day, as well as my overall. Um, it just makes you, me feel like I have a partner, you know? It totally does. Yeah. And they, you know, the thing I love most about them is they, they see us for who we are. They kind of they cut mm. right to our hearts. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, what, what kind of adventure did you on? Well, we were in the city because I had some shows this weekend and we stayed overnight in, um, at a friend's house. So we got to take the train and the subway back. Um, she's very good on the train and subway, but she it's an adventure for her because she gets to sniff a lot of people. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> That's fun. And when you're doing your shows, is she on stage with you? No, she um, stays at a friend's house. Okay. Yeah. And what's her name? Okami. Okami, okay. O-K-A-M-I. My son named her. It's an uh, uh, anime character. Okay, cool. I like it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I got it wrong for the first year. I kept calling her, you know, Okami and different names. And <laughs> it took me a while to get it right. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, I, I very much relate to that. My My dog is very much my, I mean... I have a human life partner, but I have also a dog life partner, uh, and he he means so much to me. And he's he'll be turning thirteen this year, which wow is sort of equal parts joyous and a celebration, mm. but equal parts like 
makes me sad to think about, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. I just, But I just can't go there because it's just too hard to think about. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I have yeah. I have not less lost a pet like Okami. Mm. Um, so that will be an experience. She's seven now, so we have a lot of time together. Yeah, you've got a whole whole life together. That's great. Um, yeah, well, you asked me how I was doing. I, I, yes. uh, I wanted to honor that. Um, Thank uh, you. So recently, and this, this sort of may be triggering for some people who struggle with eating disorders, um, I, I have a lot of physical pains and issues, Kev. Like I, I have a lot, I have just like tons of allergy issues, tons of like inflammation issues and stomach mm. issues. And I've throughout my life essentially just have gone to various specialists and have gone down paths of like, oh, this could potentially be a thing that will bring you some sort of resolve and peace in this pain. And I usually, it always ends up where the doctor says, sorry, we can't help you. Like we've, we've hit a wall. And so I, a couple of weeks back, I went to a naturopath uh, which is someone who kind of looks at the big picture and like see how all the systems are connected. And <clears throat> um, thankfully, I have really great insurance through my my wife. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, but the the naturopath put me on this elimination diet, and this elimination diet is essentially like no sugar, no dairy, no alcohol, no wheat you know, no red meat, no eggs, you know, just so many things I can't eat. So, yeah. And I was, I ate well before, like I'm allergic to wheat and soy. So I I ate pretty well before, but like, it's been challenging. It's been challenging. But the, the whole reason I'm bringing it up is my friend Becky uh, asked me the other day, a couple of days ago, she's, she's, cause she knows I've had experience with eating disorders. She asked me of like, is it triggering for me? Because, you know, I'm thinking about food and I'm like having to like journal yeah. it to see like how I'm feeling and stuff like that. And, right. and that could be very triggering for someone. But, but I was grateful that my response back to her was, no, I'm not triggered. Like yeah. I, I feel very recovered in that, which made me happy. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's where I've I'm had, at. I've had, I've had a similar instances where people have said something offhand maybe as a joke or something and then thought that it might be triggering for me and then i realized no you know i'm kind of cool with it Mm. i'm beyond this now you know it's not it's not a trigger anymore that's nice that's like it 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 reminds us that we we've grown you know yeah 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 that's awesome well uh kev let's let's delve into your story um sure can you you know, I obviously want to talk about like the stuff that you're doing now, but I, I'd love to kind of jump back in time too and kind of, could you give me a couple of seminal moments, a couple of, a couple of just memorable moments that stick out in your brain as being important parts of your own sort of mental health journey? Sure. Yeah. I think in order to talk about what I'm doing now, I would have to go to the previous thing and then the previous thing to explain that and all the way back. So it would make sense to start early. Um, When I was about 10, my mental health symptoms um, started creeping up on me, not really creeping up. They all kind of exploded one night. And um, 
I began hearing and seeing things and, um, and by the age 13, I was in a locked psychiatric unit. Hmm. Um, and those I was in, I was two years in, into different hospitals and group homes. And those years really shaped a lot of the person that I am now. Um, it brought me music and art, a lot of good things, a lot of difficult things. Um, so that was probably the biggest, one of the biggest milestones that I'm actually still working through is the things that happened, you know, way back then and how, um, things snowballed from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, childhood experiences like stick with us and inform so much. Yeah, they, they, your, your mind is just like Play-Doh. You know, mm-hmm. and they, you just start building these different connections that might not have been there otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. So you were 10 at this point, And what, like, what exactly was going on? Well, uh, some of those memories are still blocked. Sure. Um, some of them are kind of silhouettes in my mind's eye. Mm. But um, where I was receiving um, sexual abuse in the home. And then at age 10... I have clear memories of uh, being sexually abused by two different strangers that year. And I just kind of had a um, emotional break. Uh, It was a very physical, mental and emotional experience that I had one night after all these things, kind of the perfect storm of sexual abuse came through. Wow. Um, And I just started seeing a lot and hearing lots of things and believing these weird things. And my life just kind of, changed from there um first of all i'm so very sorry uh that's thank you that's awful um and and second of all like it is you hear about these things happen where you know sort of intense traumatic because these are serious traumatic experiences trigger um essentially like you know, psychotic is not the right word, but it's essentially right. um, trigger like different sort of stories that we put on ourselves to like as as a means of like uh, protection, as a means of escape, as a means of like just trying to paint another reality than other than the 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 vileness that is this abuse. Well, the reality that I painted was very dark. Mm. It was, I began seeing devils and demons and, and, um, hearing them as well. Um, mm. because, which was a world that was painted on by my very religious grandmother. Oh, I see. Um, who was doing a lot of the abusing. Oh. So, so all of a sudden these demons and devils became real, you know, and I'm 10. Right. So it was, it was a very, that one day that it all happened really kind of stands out in my mind. Yeah. Wow. With the religious stuff too, that that stuff can be so compelling and it's so, it's so black and white. It's so like, there's no margin for, for error. (laughs) And ironically, I have a, I have a very black and white way of thinking about me Mm. ever since it probably. Mm. Now, so when you're experiencing these things, how did you how how did you get into? You said you were in like psychiatric care. 
Like how did that yeah, happen? Yeah, when I was 13, um, I was drinking and doing drugs every day. And, um, and I went to my dad, who was a really safe person for me. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm broken and I don't know what to do. And he, he said, okay. His first advice was stop hanging around with those kids that you hang around with, you know. And sure. that, that didn't work. And uh, he found a place for me to go. And once I got into the system, uh, I was just, I was in there for another two years. I got out when I was 15 or 16. So help me understand, you were, this is the foster system you're referring to? No, the psychiatric hospital system. Okay. And, and was your dad at home with your grandmother? Yeah. Um, I lived with my mom, my dad, my grandmother, and my seven older siblings. Wow. Yeah. Big family. <laughs> Irish Catholics. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it, that Irish yeah. Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. So were they aware of the abuse that was happening, your parents? No, not at all. Um, later in life, I would ask my mother about the times where strangers took me, and she said she always knew something happened that day, but never did anything, said anything about it. Mm. And was that kind of par for the course in your household? Did you kind of, was it a, you just kind of grin and bear it, you know? Yeah, it was a speak when spoken to. Yeah. um, Keep the stuff to yourself. Uh, My father's health was very frail, so everything we could do not to upset him was done. Hmm. How did, did you have relationships with your siblings? Like how, how did that, how did you interact with them? Yeah, probably pretty normally. You know, I fought with them, but I also played with them. Yeah. Um, the older half were, you know, more than 10 years older than me. So when I was growing up, they were starting to move out. Right. And but we're you... all pretty tight now. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's great. Were you aware of any abuse that was happening to them? No, and I haven't heard that anybody has been abused. Hmm. So when you're 13, you go into psychiatric care for two years. Uh, yeah. And what what was that experience like? Um, unbelievable. I was. I have so many times I've tried to write about it, and it's just too much to write about. Hmm. But but uh, I made some relationships there with people that I still have today, um, who were going through the same thing. You're you're locked up and you think it's a loony bin, you know, and Mm -hmm. the first hospital I went to was just me and kids. And, um, the rules were things like if you swore, you would get put in the the padded room for an hour. And if you, if you resisted, you would get put in restraints for an hour and then the padded room, you know, and it was a tough time. Um, and then I got shuffled, you know, insurance has run out and you get shuffled to, you know, lesser hospitals and such where I was on units with adults. And as a 13 year old, I was allowed to smoke as much as I wanted to and um, hang out with these grownups, you know, all day, just smoke cigarettes. You know, it was I didn't learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was what was the day to day like? Did you were you being medicated? Did you uh, talk to a counselor? I was being medicated a little bit. Um, my first hospital was a, thankfully was really good one. It was up in New Hampshire and 
they put me on meds. Um, I saw counselors every day. I went to groups. Um, I don't remember anything I learned because I was 13 and I just wanted to leave. Sure. Um, but, and they, they realized that something was wrong, which was the, the good thing. And, um, and I told them when the insurance ran out, I said, if you send me home, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. And so they found me another place to go. Um, and that's, so they, I wasn't like stuck in the system. I wanted to be there cause I didn't want to go home, you know? Because you knew the abuse was at home. Yeah. And because everything horrible was, you know, at home. When you, when you told them that like, if you'd go home, you'd kill yourself. Did you believe that? Did you believe that that to be true? I did. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I had already been cutting myself and drinking and doing drugs, just mm. burning my brain out at age 13, you know? So, ah. <sighs> Kev, I mean, <laughs> I, I just like, my heart but breaks it, for the, there's so much, I mean, parenting is, is such a hard thing. And, and one of the things that, that I think about a lot, because I'm not a parent, but my wife and I have tried and, and we've, we've sort of gone down that road a couple of times. But I, I think about kids who grew up in environments that are traumatic environments that are just unsafe and it just it breaks my heart so much because they have no choice in the matter you know right yep um it's something that happens to them it does know? it happens yeah. to them and it's it's just like it's such a great tragic tragedy that exists in the world and i i you know i i hear it all the time like i don't know how we move beyond that. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. Yeah, I think education. Education's huge. Yeah, education absolutely. is big. Yeah. So, after you were there for two years, is that right? Well, I was uh, through hospitals, and then I went to a group home. Okay. Um, for a year before I went back home, and that was good because I was able to go to my regular school at the time. Hmm. Um. And you were in high school at that point? Junior high. Junior high, okay. Yeah. And uh, I didn't do well in school, but I got to hang out with kids and stuff and eventually went home about after a year. But in the group home, I had family meetings and things like that, but I would never speak about anything bad because couldn't upset my father because um, he was sick, you know, and... It, everything was just even too overwhelming for me to even verbalize, you yeah. know? Um, so eventually I went home and, uh, when I was 16, I did well for a year and then, uh, I, I did well and then went downhill for a year and then I c attempted suicide, mm -hmm. uh, by overdosing. Um, that was another big moment. It was a very eye opening moment for me. And did you, did you have, to, was there medical intervention? Yeah, I, uh, I went to the hospital. I was in a coma for six days. Um, and when I woke up from that coma, I remember waking up and thinking things were going to get better from here. Hmm. Um, and I didn't know why. I think looking back, I knew things were going to get better because people were going to pay more attention. Hmm. 
that, hey, maybe something really is wrong. Um, That's interesting. So do you feel like you weren't being paying attention to or uh, being uh, seen before? I think I didn't feel like people believed it was as serious as it was. I see. That it was a life-threatening thing going on. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to die. I didn't think that I could make it through this. Right, right. Um, the, the intent was to die, but when I woke up, I felt better because I felt like, okay, I got their attention that this is a serious thing. Hmm. And that was a, that was a big moment in your, yeah. In your story. And, uh, yeah. And uh, I went to another hospital. I was out of there within 30 days. I went back home and I did pretty well for a while. And was your... Was your grandmother still around when you went back? No, my grandmother had passed by the time I got back home. Okay. Um, and the house was very different. People kind of walked on eggshells a bit with me. Um, it was a little easier for me day to day. And I, and on my own initiative, I decided not to use any drugs or alcohol by drugs. I, I just mean marijuana and LSD, Mm -hmm. but I, I stayed straight and sober for almost 20 years after that. Wow. I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic and addict. I was just self-medicating as a kid. Sure. Um, these days I use cannabis as medication. Um, but I have no desire to drink or, you know, escape in that way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I always think like I'm, open to most things i think Mm. what's important is like why we're doing the thing you know exactly your intent the intent yeah but that intent that negative intent was lifted when i woke up from that coma i just felt no desire to escape in that way anymore wow that's amazing yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean so I, i i've never personally attempted suicide but i've i've been suicidal certainly and I, I think when I, when I sort of, the doctor essentially said like, look, if you keep going down this road, your heart's going to stop. When I got that sort of message, it was a clear sort of path. It wasn't a clear path forward, but it was a, like an option. Like it was like, okay, I, I'm I'm giving the go ahead to like move forward in a way that I don't have to, like, I certainly had to made, make the choice, but it's almost like I felt like he gave me the path. And that felt yes. good and relieving because I ultimately, I don't think I did want to die, but I also wasn't sure of how to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, tell me about a little bit after the suicide attempt, like what living at home, like what, what were you, what were you doing? Like what, where was your emotional state? Were you, were you talking to therapists? Like what, what was going on then? No, I didn't get, I didn't do any therapy or mental health, anything for the next, you know, 20 years. Um, I just kept all my stuff to myself and dove into music and art. But, um, up and through high school and after I dropped, I dropped out of high school. I got kicked out of my house and went into foster care. And 
Why mentally, were you kicked out? Well, I was um, doing things that were unsafe, like um, I was starting fires in my bedroom, um, which I later would learn is a symptom of someone who's been sexually abused. I didn't know it at the time. Hmm. Um, and just doing things in the house that would put other people in jeopardy. And they warned me and said, you know, we can't have you here if you're going to do this stuff. And I couldn't stop. Hmm. So I got I got kicked out and the state picked me up and I got put in foster care um, until I was 18. How was living in the foster care? It was pretty good. I know there's a lot of bad stories. Um, I think I was lucky, you know, I was a bit older and I got put with someone who's used to someone who's more independent and older. So it was really more like I was renting a room, mm-hmm. but, but not having to pay for it. Right. Um, and I just worked full time until I, and saved until I was out of the foster care and I could get an apartment. And at w- what age was that at? Between 18 and 19, I guess. Okay. Um, that didn't go well, though, because, I mean, I was, I was highly symptomatic going in and out of episodes, and I didn't know it. Um, and I couldn't hold a job. Um, it, I think within a year, I was homeless. Hmm. Um, I lived in a park in Harvard Square, Harvard Square. Um, <laughs> I lived there for a year, but my family didn't know I was homeless. Um, I didn't want them to, I didn't want to be a burden, you know? I mean, <laughs> that was my thinking. Yeah, that's your thinking. And I get it. I completely get it. And like hearing you talk about like not wanting to, disrupt or not wanting to to make things harder for your father who was frail like that's that's so hard like because <laughs> the, the kids should be able to rely on their parents right yes i believe my siblings were it was that was the information i was being fed by my grandmother was mm. to not upset my father mm. don't don't tell him anything that will make him mad because he'll die yeah Wow. And that might have been a way for her saying, don't say anything about what's going on between us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. I mean, so all this time you're, you're living, you're homeless and you're not talking about your mental health. Like what, how? I didn't, I I didn't really know I had a mental health issue. Like the demons and things that I saw, I didn't realize they weren't real. I just didn't tell people about them. Like I thought they were demons and they were after me and, and, uh, that's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, years later I would kind of get used to it and, and, um, and since they're gone, I don't Mm -hmm. have them anymore, but, um, it was hard at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I, I can't, it seems like one of the hardest things (laughs) ever. It inspired a lot of art and music. There's a lot of good that came out of it. Yeah. That is, I guess that is the silver lining of suffering is we do, we do, we can create and we can learn so much and beauty. And help others. Help others. Yeah. So were you creating art at that point in your life? Yeah. All through high school I did art and um, I went to the Art Institute of Boston and I was performing shows at coffee houses and uh, kind of just bleeding on paper, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still do that today, you know, art and music. 
Yeah. Uh, but I was at the time I would live in the park and I would busk out on the street. Um, Harvard Square has a big community of street musicians. Okay. So you can make pretty good money. Nice. Yeah. Um, but it was hard living in, uh, I got scooped up by the army. <laughs> the army recruiter came up and said, Hey, we can give you a meal and a place to sleep and money. I was like, I'll take it. Wow. And when was this? Uh, this was 1995, I okay. think. Yeah, and um, five or six. But that didn't go. I got injured within the first year and medically discharged. Okay. I, I was uh, at, the, at the time, I was a wicked hippie. You know, I had tie-dye shirts on, and I was peace, love, and this. And I told everybody I'm going to join the, the army, and they thought I was nuts, which, you know. Yeah, those those thing those two things seem uh, incongruous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, but it makes sense. Like you know, that's that's maybe a little safety. That's a little structure. It's a foundation. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't like the army, but nobody else is giving me food or a place to stay. And yeah, exactly. A job. So yeah, I jumped right in. I'm. You know. Did you have to take like a psych test or something to get into the army? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And somehow I made it through. Okay. I'm a, I'm, I work with, I'm, I deal with the VA now and they're kind of looking at that now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you were in the army for about a year, get discharged. Mm-hmm. Then, then what happens? Well, nobody really wanted me to go back to Boston because I was just a mess up there burning all my bridges and my brother kind of wanted to step up and be a big brother. And he was up in Alaska. So he said, why don't you come up to Alaska and see what we can do? Mm -hmm. And so I moved up there and, uh, fell in love with the place. Um, began working, living with my brother and, you know, met a girl, stayed up there for 10 years, had a son. Uh, but the whole time I was up there, I just skidded along the bottom. Yeah. Especially once I had my son, um, it, that relationship was with his mom was very physically abusive, and uh, I had to leave, and I have full custody of my son when he was two. And then I was skidding along the bottom in Alaska, being homeless and not being homeless, and being homeless and losing job after job with my son. You know, so now he and I are sleeping in shelters and cars. And I still don't know that I have a mental illness. I just think I was made wrong. You know what I mean? Wow. So you're still at this time seeing, you know, demons and things like that? Yeah, they had quieted down as I got older, and they would only happen when I got stressed out. Mm. Um, so there were many times where my son and I would be in a shelter, and I have all these things stressing on me, and yeah, they, I would be seeing them all the time. But if we're going through a patch where things are going good, I don't see them at all. And how aware was your son of what was going on with you? I don't think he was aware at all. Uh, He was, you know, between two and ten. You know, he was with me. Um, I eventually had him go live with my sister. But from two to ten... He was just bouncing from apartment to apartment to shelter to whatever with me. And I think that's probably what he thought life was like. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, so you're in Alaska. What was it always kind of hard there getting jobs? Was it always, you know, did you ever have any steady work? I did. I worked for, um, the boys and girls clubs. Oh yeah. I remember Um, being a part of the boys and girls club as a kid. Yeah. I worked there for about five years, um, as an art instructor, a music instructor. And then I went and worked for the air force for a few years and I opened up a teen center for them and taught art and music. So that was kind of cool. And it was less stress, you know, working with kids, you get to let out a lot of energy and things. So it was actually really good for my mental health. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Especially, you know, cause there's this, you know, we, we, you hear the, you hear that sort of inner child, you hear people talk about the inner child and how we need to sort of look inward and, and sort of address our inner children because, you know, when, when, especially when those children, you know, our experiences where we've had trauma as children, right? We need to like right. look at that person, forgive them. We need to, uh, you know, figure out how that person has impacted us as adults, right? You know, all that stuff. So you sort of working with kids, like, yeah, that must have been so therapeutic. It was. It was actually intimidating at first where I was always very intimidated by kids until I had one. Mm. And then all I wanted to do is be around and play with kids and do stuff with kids. Um, yeah, it was great for me. Yeah, there's such a, a beauty in children. And I, I I feel like we as adults need to be a bit more like children sometimes, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much we get caught up in that, that kids just do not. They kind of see the truth. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a little bit like, I hate to say it, but they're a little bit like puppies, you know, where they sure. just, they're very innocent and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, after that experience, where, oh, do you so, go, where do you go next? Well, so I was in Alaska, and uh, my son and I were homeless after a difficult romantic breakup. Um, and I was manic. I was just full-blown manic. I, ha- I couldn't work, and I was stealing food from the supermarket to feed my son and I. Wow. And, uh, and I got arrested. Mm. with my son with me too. And um, thankfully I didn't lose my son, but the court, when I went to court, the judge said, you are clearly not okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause I couldn't even form a sentence. And in Alaska, they have a special mental health court. When they think you have a mental health issue, they send you there. And so oh, I got wow. sent there. Okay. Yeah. And they said, you know, why don't you go get seen at the hospital and, that's where my life changed and I finally got a good diagnosis and found out what recovery was, was through that being arrested. Wow. Yeah. What a thing to happen to sort of trigger that. It was a difficult time, but it's, you know, it's such a great life changing time for me. I wish I had known it at the time. (laughs) I know. Hindsight is 2020, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So at what age was that? 36. Okay. 10 years ago. Okay. And and at that point you started 
well, talking I was about the, stuff, seeing a therapist? Yeah, I was in the hospital and um, they gave me this pill that just made me settle down the next day. And I was talking to a fellow uh, patient about her experiences and she told me how she saw things and heard things that weren't there. And I told her I did too. And that I had never told anyone. And she said, well, you should probably tell someone. And I did. And um, they really, it really helped with my diagnosis and get me on some medication that would um, help me recover. Amazing. Yeah. Sharing. The power of sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Just to know that, oh, someone else and they're not a bad person because of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so... What med- what uh, diagnosis did you get at that point? Uh, I got bi- depressive bipolar one with psychosis, mm-hmm. uh, rapid cycling, mixed episodes, PTSD. I see. Yeah. And, and it, is that the same diagnosis you have today? Well, I've gone through. I've cycled between that one and schizoaffective. Okay. Um. I usually go with the, the first one, but when I'm being lazy, I'll sometimes I'll just say schizoaffective. I see. If I don't want to explain what psychosis is and things like that, you know. Gotcha. And the same medication you were uh, prescribed them then are you on now? No, they prescribe something pretty strong, and within the first month, I gained fifty pounds. Oh wow! And, yeah. Uh, and so I told the doctor, you just can't continue. And I had to go through two doctors to get a change. But um, since that change, everything's kind of stayed the same for the last 10 years with only minimal changes. They're making the VA is, um, I don't even know if I can say this, but um, they suggested that I get rid of two of my meds and replace it with cannabis. Mm. Um, so I'm looking into that option as well. Two of the how many meds? Um, s- six. Okay. I also take meds for my heart, too, so it, it will help with that as well. Gotcha. And so you're diagnosed 10 years ago. Tell me about, like, the next 10 years. Like, what do you – are you seeing a therapist regularly at this point? Are you, are you starting to open up? Yeah, um – as soon as I got out of the hospital, I had to go through a probation in Alaska, but I sent my son to Boston to my family uh, because I still had to do some homelessness before I could get back to Boston. But once I moved here, um, I kind of started learning about this thing called recovery. Um, and I didn't know a lot about it. Um, I started going to support groups and that got me lined up with a day program and a therapist. Um, since I was on disability, I could spend my days learning about recovery. Mm. Um, because if there was a way out of this, I was going to take every step that I could, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. It it was about, I think year five, I learned about becoming a, um, certified peer specialist. Okay. Um, so I took that training, you know, and test and, um, became a, certified peer specialist in Massachusetts and went back to work full time as a, at a mental health organization. 
um, working with people, homeless people with schizophrenia um, and bipolar. So that's kind of from Alaska. That's what I worked myself up to about th three years ago. Wow. I mean, that's tremendously admirable. It, in what capacity are you working? Now I am not working. Okay. Um, I worked that for about two and a half years and yeah, I had a lot of other things go on in life during that time. And I realized I couldn't, the job was just too overwhelming. Mm. Um, I had several clients um, take their lives and, and then my mom passed, my friend passed, just everything happened. And I kind of spiraled downhill. Mm. Um, I did. Every, it was like one of those things where you're doing all the right things, but it's the wave is just coming anyways. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I did. I connected with my family and I said, you know, I think I'm not going to be able to do this job much longer and I'm afraid I'm going to lose everything and I don't know what to do. And they kind of stepped in and helped me out a bit. Well, that's nice. Uh, yeah. Um, they've been very supportive since I've now that I've come back and I have this diagnosis that something's really wrong with me. They're like, Oh, okay. And they're really super supportive. That's lovely. That's so great to yeah. hear. Yeah. Especially from a, a Boston area family. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I mean, so I was working and then I left my work. My family stepped in, um, but I, I did still end up in a homeless shelter um, just through a series of events financially. Um, I was in a homeless shelter uh, up until three months ago. Wow. And uh, everything during the time in the shelter, you know, I'm putting all my resources together, getting everything all set. And now I'm in this nice place in Beverly. I can see the ocean and I have like... Nice security. That's so great. Yeah, it's a really, I feel like I retired at 46. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, you, you kind of spoke to it at the top of the recording, at the beginning of the, our chat uh, about, you said something along the lines of like, there's so much to say, you don't know how to say it, like in a book form, because there's so yeah. much here, Kev, like you've gone through so much. And, and uh, you know, you're only 46. And I only yeah. bring that up just to say, like, I am in awe. Like, I am, I am amazed by the... You've dealt with some pretty traumatic stuff. And, and you know, from one human to another, I, I will say that I'm proud of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. It makes me feel good. Good. Makes me feel good saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I have this cool thing that I'm going to um, just started working on, and uh, it's just something local um, where I'm going to be going around to different places and telling my story, but a more detailed one um, and doing a, a talk. Uh, I tell my story from beginning up until now, and I also incorporate my music and my art um, to tell where I am at certain moments in my life through my, my story, mm -hmm. like a, a song that I wrote when I was living in Harvard square, you know? And, um, so I'm really looking forward to that and kind of sharing my story with as many people as I can. Um, because it, it helps them, I think too. 
It absolutely does. I, I think that sounds remarkable. I think that sounds like a really healing practice for yourself and for others, for sure. That's just kind of what I, it's just kind of what I try to focus on now because I have all this time, you know, I I can't work right now, although I do work as a musician doing shows, but all this time, why not use it to uh, help educate people, put out content that helps people cope in their current moment um, and um, helps people identify that they're not the only one. I like I like to say terminally unique. That's what I used to think I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's what I try to do now is just put out that stuff for other people. And the response has been great because for a while when I left that job, I felt an emptiness that I'm not doing peer support mm-hmm. and I want to help people. And now I'm just doing it. I'm not working for an agency I feel like I'm working for the internet. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you're you're still helping. You're just helping in a little different way. Yeah, and the internet's been great because my mental health also played a big role in, I feel like, um, taking away my ability to really consist, be consistent with any type of music career. That business was just too overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. But now that I have this online outlet where I can talk about mental health and I can do my music, it's just so fulfilling, even more so than going out and doing the, the um, burn your candle at both ends music business. Sure. Know? Yeah. That's so amazing to hear. Can you, um, just for the listeners, help, like when you, when someone listens to some of your music, are they are they getting like... Like, what are the lyrics like? You know, I know I've heard heard them, heard your songs, and they're great. I just want to, can you describe your music a little bit? Obviously, you're pouring your sort of story and your heart and soul into these songs, but, like, are they, like, directly, like, hearing, you know, your experiences with mental health in the lyrics? Uh, a lot of them, yeah. Um, a lot of them, tend, like, especially in my last album, um, there are songs that I wrote in the moment and how I'm feeling in the moment. Um, there's a song called Don't Mind Me where I just feel like a burden to everybody. And I talk about how I'm going through all this stuff, but please don't mind me. Mm. Um, so I have those songs. Um, like every other artist, I also have like love songs and stuff. Um, sure. But then I'm working a lot on recovery songs, songs that like the last song that I wrote was it's called Before. And during my, my, my last down cycle, during I was having a hard time deciding whether to go into the hospital, and I used music to kind of pull me up. And uh, a song that was really working for me at the time is called Rise Up by Andra Day. And it just wasn't working for me. And so I wrote a song that would work for me next time I'm in that situation. Um, so I'm kind of concentrating on writing the songs that will pull me out of that funk. And hopefully that will also pull other people out of their funk. Mm. I think it's, I mean, the great, the, the amazing thing about art is exactly that. Like we, as we're creating it, the process of creating it can be so therapeutic. And then the, the end result can be so therapeutic. That's what's so, so brilliant about it. Yeah, music hit me as a kid really hard when people would start. I couldn't believe people were singing about these types of emotions and 
writing these types of things and pouring their heart out like they were, and I was attracted to it yeah. right away. Yeah. Did you see the movie Sing Street? No. Oh, man. It's excellent. It's about uh, high school age uh, kids from Ireland, a uh, small town in Ireland, who start mm. a band. Um, and it's uh, it's by the same guy who made uh, John Carney, who made um, the movie Once. Okay. About yeah. the buskers, you know, and Glenn, yeah. Glenn Hansard was in there. Cool. Um, yeah, that's great. Anyways. I have to check it out. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, tell me about, like, uh, the work you're doing now with your music. Obviously, you do shows and you have a Patreon. Like, tell me about, like, some of the things that people can interact with when it comes to, to your work and art. Sure. I'm doing kind of a, like a jack of all trade. I'm doing a lot of things. Um, I work with an organization called tunefoolery.org. Uh, they're based in Boston and it's a group of 60 musicians who all have a diagnosis. And um, we go out and we perform at shelters and on psych units um, we also perform in public, uh, at, you know, bars and clubs and try to fight against stigma through those performances and we get paid, which is a hard thing to do as a musician in Boston. Yeah. Um, the organization pays us to do this. And so I do like this weekend I did three shows. One was on a psych unit, one was at a shelter and one was at a walk for OCD. Um, so that takes up a lot of time. And then online, um, I'm, I uh, put out my art on Instagram that will tell people things like, I did this series where I took these selfies to show my different moods mm -hmm. that I, because you don't often see, people don't portray it mm -hmm. And so I would adjust the artwork and stuff like that to portray the mood. And then I would, um, there's artwork that'll say anhedonia and then what anhedonia is. And that is a symptom of mental illness. And the artwork will kind of portray that. Yeah, I saw that one. Uh, inability to feel pleasure. Yes. Right? I, I get that symptom pretty hard. Hmm. Like when, you, when you're when you feeling that, what is... Are you just feeling... Like what, help me under, try to understand that feeling. The feeling is... Um, all the things that, like for me, the things that bring me joy are picking up a guitar or cuddling with my dog, going for a walk by the ocean, and you just have no desire to do any of them. Okay. Um, not because of physically, but you just know it's not going to be fulfilling at all for you. Yes. Okay. Uh, I can relate to so, that. Which, during that time, a lot of your coping skills stop working because they don't bring you fulfillment. Mm. So that's when I, I often either force myself to do them or I go out and seek out new coping skills, hmm. which which is always fun too. It is. It is. Are you so? You're obviously having such a therapeutic, beautiful experience through your music and art. But are you also seeking that elsewhere, like in therapy or? or I do. Yeah. I have I have two therapists. One um, a private one, and then one with the veterans. Okay. Because um, they have offered to take over my mental health, which is nice. Um, and then I go to groups, I go to a, um, a suicide ideation group mm -hmm. and, um, a general NAMI support group. Gotcha. Uh, do you, do you, so do you still struggle with suicidal ideation? 
Yes. Um, my mind, the, that, that connection is in there solid where when I get stressed out, my very first thought is I want to die. What can I do to, you know, to facilitate yeah. that? Yeah. Um, but I'm very good over the years have been able to realize that that is just a thought right. that I'm used that I'm used to. And I don't need to continue that thought. Mm. But yeah. there are a lot of people who just have, they have ideation. It's their first trigger thought. You know, yeah. when you, you miss the bus, oh, I want to, I want to kill myself. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, well, I'd love to like, uh, if you're open to it, kick off this episode with one of your songs. Um, sure. Yeah. I would just need you to like send me the MP3 or something and then I can okay. add, I can add it in to, you know, share the music with, uh, the listeners. Yeah, that would be great. Awesome. Um, it's is, been great talking today. Yeah. Is there I'm anything? Really it. Is there anything else about your story that you wanted to share with the listeners or me? Yeah, um, I just did a talk on this the other day in a spiritual wellness group, but um, one of the main things that I found in my life, because there's a lot of my story that you didn't hear today. Mm-hmm. Um, of many different types of other abuses and, and things like that. But for me, the main thing I've learned is that they all have this beautiful purpose that the more things that I have been through, the more people I can help. Like you've been through sexual abuse. Oh, I can help. I can empathize. You've been through physical abuse. You've been through this. You see, these things. Oh, I can help you too. I've been there. I've been there. So let's, you know, I can do peer specialist support with a wide variety of people because I've been through a wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, all the things that I've been through, it gives it a sense of beautiful purpose for me. Well, I'm going to praise you for a second because I I think you're absolutely 100% correct. That is the beauty of personal experience and and having the insight to know that our experiences can impact and help others but it take like taking what you've experienced and and taking all those truly traumatic experiences and and many of them uh taking those and and applying that on this level to to others that that's a uh, tremendous effort and so I commend you for being able to do that on all those levels. I think it's that's a it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I think it was born out of both inspiration and desperation. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, I, I get that. I hear that. I you know, I I always say on the show like connecting with other humans is really the the most purest, beautifulest joy in the world. It's like, I feel like that is the purpose of life. Yeah. My mom used to say, God works through people. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a religious person? Are you a spiritual person? I'm a spiritual. I'm a recovering Catholic. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And uh, I have my own beliefs that are more universal, more mm, Buddhist or Taoist, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that. 
Yeah. I'm a bit more, I, 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 I'm very much fond of the sort of be, the, the Buddhist framework. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't have any problem with religion though. Um, there's a saying, um, it's like a finger pointing at the moon. Some people look at the finger rather than the moon, but, <laughs> well, but, but some, but some people need that finger to point them to the moon. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have nothing against religion either. I, I, mm. I think whatever works for you, I think where I struggle sometimes is when religion is, is used as a tool for mm. exclusion and, and bigotry and hatred. Yeah. It can be used for a lot of bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get into empathy heroes. Uh, this is kind of the part of the show where my guests and I, uh, list um an empathy hero someone in our lives who's very empathetic could be a character from a book could be a character from a movie someone we know personally someone we may have never even met uh, i will go first to give you a moment to think on it kev and i i didn't write one down this week so i'm gonna think <laughs> of off the top of my head who should be my empathy hero this week mm. Mm, mm, mm. um well Let's see. Gosh, I'm going to cut out all this pausing. Um, <laughs> uh, let me think. I'm looking around my little house. Would you like me to go first? You know what? You go first. That would be awesome. Right. I had one pop in my head right when you said it. Perfect. But I'm going to choose both a person in my life and also a fictional character who are very similar to me. Uh, my friend, best friend, Kayla Pinto, who... Reminds me of Winnie the Pooh. Um, she is so she's so nice and accepting and non-judgmental to anything you say to her, and is probably I think she's built to listen to me. Like she does everything perfectly when I need someone to listen to me, mm -hmm. and she says all the right things and doesn't say all the wrong things, and she really accepts it all and still loves me anyways. <laughs> uh, we need those people. And it just reminds me of, if you ever read the book, The Tao of Pooh. I haven't. I, I think uh, I think we may have that book, but I have not read it. Uh, it just reminds me a lot of Winnie the Pooh in that book. One of my favorite books of all time. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now you're on the spot. I, I, I am. I am. Um, I'm going to list... Um, Will Wheaton, uh, the mm. Star Trek actor and now someone who is very open about his mental health. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. I am a big fan as well. I, I'm fingers crossed, but I may give, get him on the podcast, which would be amazing. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, he, I love him. He's a delight. He really cares about humanity. It's very clear in the way he operates, He's very vulnerable and, and not afraid to share his experiences yeah. with depression and suicidal ideation. And um, yeah, so Will Wheaton is my empathy hero. Nice. Yeah. I'm a big star. Not only am I a big Star Trek fan with Will Wheaton, but he's a big Dungeons and Dragons player. And uh -huh. so am I. Oh, so nice. I'm a big fan of him in that way. Yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a geek. He's a total oh, he's geek. a big time geek. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, I I love playing Dungeons and Dragons myself. I nice. I haven't played in about, gosh, it's been like over a year. But I was playing with um, 
my wife and and a couple other people, and it's so fun. It's so fun. It's such I a know. especially for someone like myself who's very. I'm an introvert, but I yep. love stories, and I I you know the books that sort of got me into reading was fantasy. Like I love fantasy, yeah. and the the act of playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's such a a beautiful um, creative exercise. Like, and it really like gets you out of your head and just allow it's, it's almost like an improv exercise too. There's something about it that's very intoxicating. I think it can be a great tool for mental health as well in day programs and such. But I mean, I could do a whole nother show on how awesome Dungeons and Dragons is. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that could be next time. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kev, uh, where, where can people, uh, follow you and connect with your music and all that lovely stuff mainly i'm on patreon patreon.com slash kev g more but you can find me with that name uh, on youtube and instagram and twitter uh, k-e-v-g-m-o-r awesome yeah well thank you so much for being a guest on you me empathy oh it's been great i had a blast good and to you listeners I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. (laughs) 